music is this? Welcome, everybody, to episode 36 of the Light Shed Podcast, the Christmas edition 2020. That means, yes, there's only one more week in 2020. But why this mu- this music is, I'm sorry, guys, not Brandon, good. Last I, night. I let you pick the music twice so far, oh. and, and both times, it's it's just not been good. I don't this like is, it. This is what I'd like to call the... Um, HBO episode as well as the Christmas since Wonder Woman will be on tomorrow. But in this case, last night I was looking for a a Christmas special. I went to Netflix, didn't really find anything. Went to Prime, didn't find anything. Um, We went to Hulu, couldn't find anything that we liked. And then there it is on HBO Max, Last Christmas with Daenerys set in London. Um, Daenerys Targaryen? Yeah, as the lead actress. Okay. And set in London, which you know I've missed um, dearly, not being able, haven't been there for a while now. Um, and yeah, it was George Michael songs throughout, which was wonderful. I'm a big George Michael fan. Did the whole but, family like it? This was a family viewing, I assume. Was this was this no, the whole family, family set? Movie. I like that George Michael song. That's a duet with Elton John. Do you know that one? Add that to the closeout. <laughs> don't let the sun go down on me that's good don't let... yeah that's a good one too. okay sing it so, sing it for us while i no, mean no. i sound perfect great to perfect myself. pitch yeah perfect pitch I, but i've heard my recordings and they're not so good <laughs> so let's stay on the topic of wonder woman because it's important because it comes out tomorrow on hbo max but there was some early numbers came in from overseas so just just panda uh who always is great at um highlighting box office said Wonder I don't Woman's think that's internet- how you pronounce either the first or the last name, but continue, right. please. First of all, pronunciation, as everyone knows, is not my forte. I mean, luckily, I can do Fubo now. I, you yeah. know, I, I'm learning. Definitely I, w- I was we'll psyched that, that in the title of today's note, you wrote Fubo instead of Fubu, which we were all scared about. Still <laughs> messed, they still messed the link, uh, link up. I think it says that the company's like trash in the link, but we'll get to that also. Okay. Okay. So, so Wonder Woman 1984 international opening week box office was 38 million, slightly below Sunday's estimates. Final China figure of 19 million accounted for 49% of the international total and 20% of China's gross came from IMAX screens. Those but I think the big news... Look good, Rich. Uh, look, China was like half of what it was the last time. I mean, to me, all of this just speaks to the consumers really not ready globally. There is certainly a few markets where they're ready to go back to theaters, but going back to theaters is going to take a lot of time. And I think I think this just underscores that the pivot, you know, sort of doing day and date, releasing in theaters and on streaming really makes sense. And it, given where we are in the virus, it's getting worse everywhere we look. I mean, I can't believe we're still talking about the pandemic. I mean, we this has been nine months now of talking about this on the podcast. But with it getting worse, I think every studio I feel like we've kinda... been talking about Wonder Woman for nine months at oh, this God. point. <laughs> well, well it was supposed day, to be so it was supposed to be a release. I can't even remember was it a, was it a July release? I mean it was a long time ago this movie was supposed to come out. But I, I think that the key here is that that this is basically illustrating that what Jason Kylar and the team at Warner Media are doing and being with the support of AT&T, it makes sense. If you're going to release a movie, you can't just be putting movies in theaters. You need alternatives. And driving HBO Max makes a lot of sense. And it really leads into the, the next slide we have. Which I, I, is, one thing on that side, the other yeah. the other thing that's in the tweet there is that 20 percent 
was from IMAX. And I think that is going to tell you, is telling you that if you're going to go to the theater in the future, you're going to want a real differentiated experience. And the gap between what's on the screen versus watching on an OLED television in your home with some decent speakers is really closing. So IMAX is a, is a big differentiation there. And that was my issue, Brandon, with, with getting back to the whole um, tenant discussion in terms of, oh, it needs to be in the theater. Like, I don't know how many theaters that guy's been in. Yeah, it's great if you're in one of the Dolby Digitals or the IMAX, but a lot of the other ones are just like garbage screens that have been like split down, like yep. big screens split down to two. So like, is the art really well served there? But you're 100% right in terms and of then, the and, IMAX. And, so good in terms of com- comfortability, I've, I, I, unless you have those special reclining chairs or whatever, it feels like you're in the like middle seat and coach. Sure. So, so once flight, again, like, changes will probably improve the experience for the consumer because the cons- now there's more pressure on these theaters to actually do something to entice people there as opposed to getting the gift of having these things only released in their theaters however many months in advance. Yes, sir. This is Great this point, is right? an actual topic that all three of us are in deep agreement on. Well, eventize totally wrong then. <laughs> no, 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 just <laughs> eventize the experience, which is what IMAX has been doing for years. But they didn't, you know. Right. There if was this unfair the, advantage. Look, you you give consumers choice. If the actual experience is better than watching in your home, then people will go to the movies. Right. Yep. That's it. So I guess when we see some bankruptcies, there will be some screen count rationalization and maybe some of the those older screens that you were talking about, Walt, will just go away and the experience will be consistently, quote, better. Who knows? So I'm going to call an audible just because Walt brought it up. But Tenant, um, which Walt just mentioned, this is one we actually have been talking about for nine months. I know. But 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 what's interesting here is I got this ad in my Twitter feed for tenant. And what struck me was that it says tenants now available to buy on the Apple TV app. Watch it today. Nothing surprising about that. The exact text for the podcast listeners, because it's amazing that Apple would put something out there like this because this is an Apple sponsored tweet. So it says straight from it dramatically straight from the theater (laughs) to your home. Tenant is now available to buy on the the Apple TV app. Watch it today. Tenant. Straight from the theater to your home. Tenant. But then the tagline is what's crazy. Watch Tenant subscription free on the Apple TV app. Now, subscription free. They're t- clearly taking a dig at HBO Max, at yep. you know, at Netflix, all these other applications, including which own. is which is weird, right? Apple TV Plus, which is a subscription, which is just bizarre. But but then what they don't tell you is it's nineteen ninety nine to watch Tenant on Apple TV through the Apple TV app. HBO Max, where you're going to watch Wonder Woman with me tomorrow, Walt, is $15 for a month, and it comes with tons yeah. of content. Like, it's just an absurd tweet. You get, you get at least five weeks, if I'm doing my math correctly, <laughs> of HBO Max for that price. And also just in your advertisement, effectively implying something's free, and then someone <laughs> clicks through and they hit a $20 price tag hey, I mean, give me a break apple that's not that is way 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 off brand for how apple has dealt with their customers historically yeah so that was just weird in the category of weird but then Bad let's look ad. but let's go back to hbo because i think it is important with wonder woman hitting tomorrow is that there was a headline in variety from todd spangler roku stopped selling hbo through its channel store after the hbo max deal and this was a big topic for us like we said hbo 
had to stop dealing with channel stores, whether it was on Amazon or whether it was on Roku. It was to, to lose, to not use the application, to lose the kind of control of the customer and the customer experience was a real mistake by the prior regime. HBO is reclaiming their future. They're owning it just the way Disney does, just the way Netflix does, just the way Amazon Prime does. I think a lot of the others, it'll be interesting to see what Paramount Plus and Discovery Plus and some of the new players do in, in coming months as they launch. But I think this is a very big win that when you go to Roku now, if you want HBO Max, you have to basically cancel your Roku HBO and then sign back up for HBO Max. That's a win for the team at Warner Media. And I think, you know, Walt, we've been talking about how they get this 8 million. It got to 12.6 million, I think, activations, but still big gap to 30. Not this may grow the 30, but on top of that, you're going to close that gap to 30 very, very quickly. By the way, it's going to be good news. One of the things that I forgot to mention is that after I watched um, last Christmas, the George Michael uh, Denarius Christmas special that everyone should check out um, on HBO Max, which is what that where that content was served. They had like a three minute lead in to the Wonder Woman thing. So I think, you know, look, it, did you watch it? Yeah, it was good. It was good. I mean, it was it was very Dude, good. Um, I am so excited for you to watch Wonder Woman. All I'm saying is that you're going to be people need to be. <laughs> you'll patient. have a glow for days. People need to be a little bit patient with AT&T. Maybe they shouldn't. Maybe AT&T should have been or Warner Media, whatever you want to call them, should have been better prepared when they first launched HBO Max. But whether it's the Roku and, and you know, killing the channels or, you know, figuring out how to provide teasers within the app to get people involved, you know, they're getting there. Right. I think when you open up the mobile app today, I got that same three minute teaser like, hey, you want to watch the opening scene right now? That's they're learning. I mean, they're definitely being more creative with how they market. Still got a long way to go on the app. And I think Jason and Andy and the team there are going to do a lot to innovate. But at least they're starting to learn how to market better digitally. And I mean, everyone sees Netflix. By the way, Jason knows how digital marketing works. (laughs) He was extremely creative in creating new ad formats on Hulu, Hulu, figuring out how to highly engage um, viewers for He only got there six months ago. He's only been there six months. And and Netflix is a good example. Everyone sees where it is today and says, like, that's the uber gold that you want to get to. But like, look, you talk to the technical people at Netflix and they said, look, a lot of this stuff is actually hard to do and take some time. And it wasn't that long ago. Well, maybe it was long ago. Remember, we had that whole battle on Twitter with the the guys from Netflix Uh and like, with telling me that they don't need trailers for their, you know, for the content that's on there. They told you you were wrong. They told you you were wrong, Walt. I remember when we wrote things or rich you in particular wrote things about how terrible netflix advertising was and right. now netflix is pretty much the gold standard there oh i still remember that tv ad with the two gerbils and i was like why are there gerbils in a in a netflix ad like it was i mean if you Google- was it a richard gear movie <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Speaking I can't of believe Rich, I even remember oh that. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, speaking we're going to Speaking of Rich saying terrible <laughs> things about companies, let's move on to the next slide. No, no, no we're not there yet. We got one oh. more first on, on the movie business first. We got Kevin oh, Feige, who is the, 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 the overlord of all things Marvel. He's quoted in an Emmy article saying, an experience like WandaVision, which is the coming Marvel um, show on Disney+, Plus, is something you can't get in a movie. And it's basically sort of talking to why streaming is 100% the future of where the business is going. And it just, 
that type of comment sort of just supports our view that when you think about Black Widow, which is coming out in May and, you know, Disney still is saying it's coming out exclusively in theaters. Uh, they use the word flexibility 12 times at their analyst day or investor day the other day. Yeah, I, I, I think my guess is they didn't want to get stuck in the whole shit, st- shit storm that Warner Brothers has gotten stuck in with the industry, with the whole HBO Max stuff that we were just discussing. Plus, they could be opportunistic with ever with all the pushback on Warner's right now. Yeah, but I just think there's something going, big going in that on. direction. Of course, it's going in that direction. They said it without saying it. A hundred times or 12, to be exact, I guess I right. know so, you did the word search in the transcript. <laughs> right. So, so the point is, is that my guess is Jason Kylar, who is being I mean, people are calling me up. I'm getting actual calls saying how many days does Jason have left? Like people are saying he's going to be fired. He can't survive. It's over. And I'm like. I think you're crazy. I think Disney's going to follow suit. They may not come at it the same bold way that 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 um, AT and T and Warner did, but I think everyone's getting to the same conclusion that movie theaters, as a the, the only way to release movies in 2021, movie theaters are not going to be viable on their own. You're going to need streaming, and there's so no, I think there's going to be more to been follow. Zero indication from AT and T management that they are not 100 percent behind the recent moves done at their Warner Group. I know it's just I, I mean, keep getting the call. They went out saying, and they hired Jason. It's not like they didn't interview him or know what they were hiring. Or it's right. not like Stanky was not it's well like aware of this decision. You know, Stanky ran the media business before. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's just look, it's everyone. Just there's a small group of people who are really email. upset. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, okay. Guys. So Get let's go it. to some of the most fun news of the week. There is a quote scoop from Axios. Fubo TV considering exclusive sports rights deals. Now let's just think about this. Let's they have no no. Let's just let's just okay. set the table. You want, you, <laughs> no, let's just set the table. This is a company that has two hundred and forty million dollars of cash and is burning cash with four hundred and fifty-five thousand subscribers. Maybe today they're around five hundred thousand subscribers. What sport could they buy? I mean, Walt, you you on Twitter you said maybe cornhole. But like, <laughs> I don't understand what sport you could buy cornhole. with two hundred million dollars. Well, ESPN has cornhole content. Just to be <laughs> clear, true. they do college. This is what you're. Cornhole. This is what you're missing on this, Rich. What? They they now have a ten bill or they did before you put a sell on the stock. Yeah, maybe but they were thinking they about dropping a secondary <laughs> next week. Of course, Rich. good job. Of course, they were going to do an equity offering, yeah. and I think the idea was with all this euphoria around the stock, completely unfounded euphoria around the stock. Hey, we could just go raise more cash and do something with it to invest in the business. That's what I would do if I were Gandler. Now, the fact that the stock got there and whether it's going to stay there very long um, are two separate things. Well, there is a big lockup. There's a big the lockup lock, yeah. ending next week. So I, mean, I would there's be a lot of people. Who I might would be, be literally floored if the media companies that own the stock that got the stock, I think it was in their carriage agreements, um, don't all sell. So that's what Discovery, Comcast. Viacom. Viacom AMCX, which I think Fubo is now a meaningful part of their overall market, market cap, which yeah. is um, pretty insane. But Rich, why don't why don't you go into why you were so bearish today in in your Fubo note, calling it maybe the best short you have ever seen? Because I just think at the end of the day, 
the the VMVPD business model is one that you know all of us have seen evolve for, for years. I mean, we've been following this from the earliest days. I mean, I was with Roger Lynch at CES when they announced that Sling was launching. Right. I and mean, I was sitting there. I remember sitting and, and that watching that pre-brief. Him. Yeah. At the, at the and, Bellagio. Yeah. And so, so, so you look at sort of the evolution of this model and look, it's great for consumers. It's brought price down from what a Comcast or a DirecTV charges, but it's not a business. You know, everyone who's really in it, you know, and the Hulu, experience, the experience is better. It is. I mean, the channel selection is more limited than what you get on your direct TV or your Comcast. Like you're not getting everything, but it's cheaper. It's gone up a lot in price, but it's still cheaper. It's portable problem, UI yeah. UX. But the problem is nobody makes money. But you know, there's no real money in it. YouTube's doing it for the larger YouTube, bring in advertisers and have a larger ad business for the overall YouTube and attract brands. Hulu's doing it to help ESPN and some of the channels within the Disney portfolio. But as a standalone business, it's just, I mean, forget about even VMVPDs. Comcast video business is not a great business anymore. Charter's video business, they make all their money on broadband. So, like, yeah, the reason they're in it is for, is really to be part of a bundle because bundles are generally stickier than not. But the attractiveness of that is kind of decreasing as broadband, wired broadband from MVPDs is so much better than fuck DSL or whatever the alternatives are at this point. So the point is nobody makes real money on video. Nobody. We've actually seen some cable operators get out of, you know, cable one, get out of the video business. You know, for a while, we thought Verizon was basically just going to adopt YouTube TV and blow out of the whole business altogether. But it hasn't happened quite that way. But it, so it their, is hard. How, how strategy, can nobody make money in this business? And all of a sudden, their strategy worth is rich that they can run the video business as we're thinking about it to break even and add other lines of revenue to monetize the funnel that they create, which is now 400,000 subscribers. And I think that they have said, oh, we think we could get that to five to 10 million subscribers. And there's two ways that they said that they're going to monetize it as of now. One is connected TV advertising and the other is sports betting. So what do you think about those two? I think sports betting is just a complete fantasy, like, you know, pun intended. Like, I just don't think there's any there there, not even worth discussing. But on the connected TV advertising, look, it's going to grow. There's going to have a lot more ad revenue than they have today. The question is, even at two million subscribers in five years, which would be a huge number. I mean, they're at 455 last quarter. Maybe they're at 500 plus this quarter. Like growing to two million subs from 500 is massive growth over the next five years. Even so, it doesn't generate enough revenue to justify a stock price above eight. And so, so what? What are they? What are they saying? Twenty bucks a per month sub per, per month. sub. But you would okay. need five so that's million 200, subscribers. That's two hundred and forty million um, dollars per million. So it's four hundred and eighty at at two million times point sure. eight five, and that's essentially the EBITDA in a best case scenario for the business. And it got to a $10 billion market cap and two, 2 million subscribers feels like a big stretch. No, it's absurd. Let, let's, let's move on. Cause like I, I, you got me so agitated on this topic. I want like, you to just, be agitated. It, Cause it just doesn't make sense to me. And like the market's when you're correct. agitated, you write great shit. <laughs> <laughs> Walt, what is this about? 
Um, our good friend Chet. Um, is this like a nerd joke? Well, it's, it's like you got to read the tweets, by the way, because most people do listen. Yeah, I was about to read it. So Chet okay. um, tweeted, sensing a hard pivot away from millimeter wave for some, and then covering his mouth emoji, laughing, I guess. Um, and what Chet's referring to, and Chet, as, as probably many people know, um, Starry is using millimeter wave spectrum, but point to point, meaning like the antennas have to act, can actually see each other, um, which makes millimeter wave work. It's worked that way for years. But as many people know, Verizon is, has tried to use millimeter wave for their mobile strategy, which has not gone so well. And what Chet was tweeting about is the fact that this mid-band spectrum auction that the FCC is running for C-band has now reached $70 billion. So it's kind of <laughs> from 10,000 feet, I think a lot of people are looking at this and saying like, well, I guess millimeter wave is not the answer if they're willing to, and it's, you know, we don't know the bidders yet, um, but if they're willing to kind of jack the price, and I think you had another slide there, Rich. There was actually, coincidentally, more news that came out this week from PC Magazine, who was testing Verizon's millimeter wave spectrum, um, and basically said like, okay, it works if you're in the millimeter wave area, but that's you know that's got limited coverage. The second technology that Verizon's using, DSS, which we've talked, we've been early on, really frankly, before anyone pointing out the issues um, in terms of DSS, and PC Mag's basically saying if you have a Verizon phone, you see five G, turn your phone off because it's going to be slower speeds than you're getting on 4G. And can you just um, and explain, like, why does that happen? Like, why does it, why would the system switch to a slower speed? Like, why wouldn't it know to stay on the higher There's speed There's a Qualcomm channel? technology called carrier aggregation that has, they have not been able to get to work on 5G. And then when you're, when you're basically using this technology to flip back and forth between 4G and 5G, it actually takes away capacity from the network. It's arguable how much, but you know, Verizon claims, oh, it's very little, but like, so Verizon's sitting there with a hundred million customers um, with not as much spectrum as, as AT&T or T-Mobile, try to use millimeter wave to offload it, but it doesn't go far enough. So now they're using this DSS and taking capacity away. So that's impacting the speed of consumers in those areas. Hence, that's why you see this massive $70 billion auction. There's a tremendous amount of pressure and i think this is you know actions speak louder than words verizon can talk all they want about how dss works or how millimeter wave works but actions speak louder than words look at where the auction price is um 70 billion dollars and it's not even over yet well so so what does that mean like who do you think is spending when we talk about 70 billion how does that get allocated among all the players you think right so i should um preface or say that like this is our speculation that's verizon driving we're, we're not going to know because nobody can reality. talk right they're all they're all no restricted talk from talking to you and unlike auctions years and years ago you don't see who's winning at different rounds so but here's my best guess that i think and why verizon, is that why, why don't we see like why is there i remember you used to post round by round i, I, I used to remember joe like calculating that every time over time and you know from input from the operators but you know we haven't seen round by round operator information um i don't know for i can't remember when so uh but now so so if you have 70 billion it's probably in my guess is that verizon's in there for 30 billion um at&t's in there for 15 to 20 billion cables in there for probably 10 to 15 cable meaning like comcast charter and cox could cable you think cable could be bigger I mean, like, the, is it possible I, they I could be like, the, so you, so again, they don't list the bidders, but you know, the Cox Marcus, there's not that many of them. You can see how I think <laughs> Cox was pushing 
um, there was, and, and, and on Comcast and Charter, I think together, it kind of reminds me back in the 90s, you had this company called PCS Prime Co., which was a combination of eight, uh, Bell Atlantic and 9X bidding on Spectrum. I think this could be the coming out for cable saying like, look, our wireless business is gaining traction. We got some Spectrum yep. in CBRS. Here's another, this is an important Spectrum to have. And maybe they end up with a 10 or $15 dollar bi um, billion dollar bill at the end of this. And when will we know? When do you think we'll know? I mean, the auction is kind of petering out a little bit. So maybe it takes another week or two to, to finalize the auction. And then it's, it's probably a certain number of days after that before they, they release the winning the winning bidder. So you probably, hopefully, by the end of January, we'll know who spent what. And the other ones that I didn't hit was T-Mobile and Dish. And that's fine. So T-Mobile is like probably around $10 billion and, and Dish is probably less than. I think people were wrongly thinking that Dish was driving this auction. They just don't. I don't think that's their game. I think they're going to be a player there for sure. But to think that Dish would be like a 20 or $30 billion bidder in there, I think is just, I, that doesn't seem right to me. But again, we don't know. And we're just one other, one other yeah. point here, Rich. Before, this doesn't even include the clearing cost. So it's $70 billion plus another $13 billion that they got to pay to the satellite guys to actually clear the spectrum off. And let's just say cable comes in $15 billion split among the major players in cable. And that's what happens. The, they've all been leveraging this Verizon MVNO. Where does this sort of position them? Like, what's the transitional period to be MVNO versus their own network? Is that two years, five years? Give us a sense of like what that would look like. Well, we believe that the MVNO was recently renegotiated um, with Verizon for much more flexible terms. So it doesn't have to be kind of turn it off all at once. They can now they have a network connection. Use it less. There. Yeah, so they have time to build it out. They also have CBRS Spectrum, but again, so it, it doesn't have to be an overnight thing, but I think the end game here for cable would be, look, we've got our fiber deep. Now we've got this Spectrum. Like We're going to build it where all of our usage is and try and reduce the amount of roaming that we have on Verizon networks as, as, as much as possible. But let's see where the auction ends up. Brandon Vimeo. From Variety Tech, IAC plans to spin off Vimeo video unit valued at 200, sorry, 2.75 billion. All right, let's just start off with the fact 2.75 billion sounds a little low. I think they did like 250 million of rev over the last, what, LTM, last 12 months. Um, and they're growing at what forty percent. Well, hold on. So especially, L especially in the Lightshed is paying into that. Lightshed uses Vimeo on a regular basis. Yeah, I, but the bottom line is, it's it's a SaaS business levered to video, and it's a roll up. It's probably going to trade at a higher multiple than that. That's um, great but, for IAC. But look, no, it's great. I mean, it's another Diller spin. They incubated Vimeo. Uh, rolled up a lot of um, the B2B Tools. sort of video tools market, and it's it's time to hatch it, and it's going to unlock a lot of value for IAC because it's yep. going to probably be a pretty good standalone stock. And not much really else to say there, I think. No, the only thing I think about is like we keep looking at, you know, we've been talking about Roku at like a $40 billion. Even you, know, yeah. you, you, look, you look at some of these businesses that are out there and I think of companies like Viacom that have Pluto TV or Fox that bought um, – uh, to be TV. Okay. You, you sort but of, this is, you sort but of, this is a real business, Rich. No, no. So I, yeah, look, I mean, you're talking about spinning off things that may or may not perform on a standalone basis. No, no, no. What I'm, what I'm <laughs> talking about is 
there are places in the market where people are really excited right now in terms of businesses and connected TV advertising, for instance. I mean, we've seen it with, you know, Fubo, right? Like people are super excited about certain categories. I wonder when I look at some of these stocks, whether it be Viacom or whether it be Fox, whether there's sort of this asset value of these divisions. They're, they're integrated, so I think it's very hard to separate from what yeah, how they're selling. Much more difficult than what IAC is. I understand. But it just got me thinking of like, as IAC keeps spinning off all these businesses and there seems like such value creation, the media companies, I mean, I guess it flows to, we look at Comcast, right? Comcast, if it didn't have Warner Media, would be dramatically more valuable given the multiple that you'd put on the cable business right now. And so maybe the whole Warner, space is- Universe, to- NBC, NBCU. That's if, what if, I meant, if, you were to, if you were to separate them and highlight value individually and give each component the flexibility. I think how, so, about a, how about a tracking stock? Remember the, the days of the tracking I mean, stock? There's still plenty of Liberty tracking stocks. I mean, SPACs are back in vogue. Maybe trackers exactly. are next. Tracking stock could be the could be the SPAC of 2021. Tracker, trackers have not really worked though. No. I mean, look at look at the <laughs> look at the Liberty Liberty series. Sprint discount. was a tracking stock at one point. Yeah. It's terrible. Okay. Uh MGM. <laughs> I feel like I've lived this in my career at least. I don't know, seven times. I still remember when Alex Yuminijan was selling MGM. I mean, this thing's, I, I've seen the books on MGM more times in my career than any other film studio, but here's the headline from Variety. MGM's exploring a sale. The studio believes its library of content, which includes co-ownership of the James Bond franchise, would be desirable to companies looking to expand their streaming s- sectors. I don't know why it says sectors, but the, 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 the question we're getting from everyone is, well, who buys MGM? And I look at it and I go, I don't believe any of the tech companies. I think it's just complete BS. Apple doesn't need to go buy. Apple's ramping content. Every day there's a new show I want to watch on Apple TV+. Plus. Apple we know what their it. strategy is. Just build. It's, build, it's build. Just they have tons build. of capital yeah, built. Exactly. Um, I don't think Amazon. I don't think Netflix. I think the, the logical buyer of this is somebody who's in the film studio business and needs scale. So like they're looking at Disney. You know, We sat through that Disney Investor Day and like our <clears> eyes blew out, right? Like of how amazing the content was. You go, if you're Peacock, sort of underwhelming. If you look at HBO Max, it couldn't hurt to have a major franchise like Bond. I mean, there's definitely players that would benefit from the library and scale. I mean, we've always thought that Warner Brothers, going back to the TWX days of Time Warner, we used to say back then that a Time Warner MGM merger made sense. I don't know what AT&T's appetite is for M&A. They're obviously getting rid of a whole bunch of things. I mean, they sold off. What they sell off the uh, Crunchyroll the other day? They're selling off a DirecTV. It sounds like like buying a studio to me, whether you're whether you're Warner Brothers, maybe you're you know NBC Universal, buying a studio like MGM would be a really interesting move as they all push into streaming. Just to point out once again, Rich, as I did yesterday on our Light Shed Live, and as I just did when talking about the CBAN auction, AT&T is also possibly dropping another fifteen to twenty billion dollars of debt on their balance sheet for Spectrum. So that, that may make it impact. harder what to about, do something like this. Correct. Rich, that, has about, to, that has to factor into how you think sorry. about um, purchasing companies or investing in content or whatever. It has to, right? Well, look, the other wild card here, and I know people are going to say they don't have the balance sheet for it, but the wild card, because I know Sherry Redstone loves That's Paramount. what I was going to ask you. Look, she loves content. I mean, she <clears throat> loves Paramount. I mean, National Amusements put a special clause into the merger agreement between Viacom and CBS that existed in prior Viacom. That says like their super majority is needed with National Amusement's consent in order to sell Paramount. Like that is an asset that they love. 
And so building the studio and the content powerhouse of Viacom, I wouldn't put Paramount out of the running. I know it sounds crazy with their you know balance sheet, but I wonder, like even with re-upping the NFL, I wonder if there's a way they're going to try to figure out to finance that with a third party or something. It wouldn't shock me, I guess is my point. Uh, let's move gear or switch gears into the world. Uh, and I guess we're staying in the world of streaming, but we're coming at it from the world of TikTok and, and the creator influencer economy. So Charlie D'Amelio, who we've been talking about for a long time uh, as sort of the, the face of TikTok with over 100 million followers. She, um, Charlie D'Amelio, this is a tweet from Taylor Lawrence at The New York Times. Charlie D'Amelio and her family will star in The D'Amelio Show, an eight episode docuseries on Hulu that will follow the first family of TikTok. I thought it was interesting for two reasons. One, it shows how TikTok is defining culture, right? Like culture is starting on these platforms. Yep. You know, the Car- the Kardashians. I was going to, yeah, the Kardashians is is the obvious comparison. Yeah, but where there, did they right? start? But where did the Kardashians start? I mean, they started on, a, you know, a TV show in, in many ways. Like that was sort of where it all kind of grew up. This is the idea, the IP for a TV show starting <clears> out on, and, and, you know, basically seeing what works and learning what the, power and influence is leveraging, you know, TikTok and their social platform. It's just interesting how, how where IP is starting from today. I guess that's what makes it so fascinating is that it literally was figuring out they knew they have an embedded audience before they greenlight this show. So yeah, the risk and, factor is way lower. And the fact that creators aren't going to get make a lot of money on the platforms themselves necessarily, but will look to find other places as they establish their fan base whether whether it's patreon only fans and sort of the creator driven models or onto more traditional video that relationship's also going to go both ways i'm sure you're going to see them pushing that television series on tiktok we had it we had a call earlier this week with the ceo of cameo another light shed live um and we were talking about this this concept with cameo where they're pushing like the people that are doing their cameos are getting it further leveraged by it going viral on TikTok and then vice versa. There's obviously TikTok stars that now can monetize what they're doing on TikTok by selling time on Cameo. No, and it plays into the same idea of like why we're investing in podcasting, right? Like why podcasting is interesting as a category is that it's cheap IP creation. You get to learn what works. You get to build a following for content just like you do like on these social platforms. And take it and, and take it elsewhere. Podcasts. Correct themselves may not be the best business in the world from an advertising standpoint, but the ability to option podcasts into onto other platforms and other mediums is but sticking, but sticking with what Walt just said, because it, it ties perfectly into the reverse dynamic here. Look what's happening on Roblox, Brandon. Why don't you walk the, walk everyone through this? This one's from AdAge. Roblox is attracting brands that want to create their own digital worlds and launch virtual events. The Wonder Woman, the, I can't pronounce this word. Oh, you can't do that. You're going to screw up this, the pronunciation. I love it. Themyscira. I have no idea. No, idea. Oh, you don't, don't you even don't know. Even know. No. I bet it's right. No though. idea. The Themyscira experience from Wonder Woman 1984 from at Warner Bros. saw more than 18 million visits from new and returning users. Um, so I think the idea of advertising is to go where the eyeballs are and to have potential consumers or potential customers engage with your content. 
there are a lot of eyeballs on on Roblox right now, especially in a demo. If you want to reach a hard tweens, to reach demo. Yeah. If you want to reach tweens, that's where you need to go right now. And the engagement that's possible by creating uh, an experience in Roblox is much better than any ad you will see on linear TV. I'll just but give you an, also, anec- I'll well, give you an anecdote. Okay, ahead. okay. I was doing some Roblox research and I asked Jesse's nephew, nephew huh? what he's doing on Roblox. And he, he showed me and it turns out it was a McDonald's game that that he that he was playing and why was he playing how did he he find it do you know how he found it i honestly don't know i do like to know that for next week i do think i saw the hamburglar in there did he did it make him want to get at anything at mcdonald's (laughs) i think i think they should tie that in they should tie that in honestly think he he always wants to get something at mcdonald's so i don't think they needed to sell him but (laughs) but let me talk about the other side of this is What's really interesting about this Roblox campaign is that in the past, if you Warner Brothers did something marketing like this, the hope was still that you'd have to go to another platform, go buy a ticket, leave your house, go to a movie theater and watch it. Now, and I don't know exactly how this is working, but they have the ability to immediately drive traffic to HBO Max and get people to watch that content with the click of a button, subscribe, sign up, like, or even just engage and, and if they're already subscribers. That's the power of digital marketing with digital with streaming all combined on one platform called the Internet versus separating the experiences and forcing somebody out into a theater. Like, I don't know, it just and with Roblox, a lot of people that I speak to are like call Roblox a game. It's not. It's a platform. Correct. (laughs) That's that where new experiences can be created with with tools easily. And Shifting gears, you'll probably but, be able to watch HBO Max within Roblox at some point. I wouldn't be shocked by that. So switching gears to the world of sports, Richard Deitch um, from The Athletic writes, ESPN says Monday Night Football has had five consecutive weeks of year-over-year growth. Five weeks of growth. So like with all the fears of like viewership for sports is getting killed, like the NFL is still this like unbelievable outperformer. Yes, Thursday and Sunday are down a bunch. Sunday afternoon has been much better. But it's just shocking that Monday Night Football, which is always considered sort of like the worst games and the worst teams, five weeks in a row it's up. But let's go to the next point in here. Games are averaging 11.6 million viewers per game through 16 games. That's 450 viewers per game shy of last year's average at the same point of the season. And so I calculated that it's only down you know 4% year over year for Monday Night Football. That's pretty incredible. I mean, for for the NFL and for everyone the NFL who says that, has like, been so resilient through COVID and we've seen pretty much every other sport really crash in ratings and it just hasn't happened at the NFL. And that's why the NFL deals are going to be what they're going to be. I mean, look, the Thursday night games are not as bad as they used to be. The Monday night games, there've been a lot of good Monday night games, the Sunday <laughs> oh. night game. So these games where you're not on red zone and you're watching the, per- those are good game. There's less flags. I know you're going to laugh at me, but there's less flags. Oh God. You, you think that was all you, you think that was your pushing? No, but I'm just saying the content was much worse when you had the yeah. refs throwing flags every five minutes, like yeah. the, the, the amount, keep of- it going, keep it faster. It just it, it's the product is good and people will obviously gravitate towards good products and content. Now, the question is, as other sports return, the NBA came back this week and the NHL is coming back shortly. 
Yeah, what put that the, up on the slide. The, we, we got the N- NHL coming back oh, January thirteenth. Okay. Well, no, we I'll right just here. I'll just say about the N- NBA before we get to that. It, it, opening night wasn't so bad in in the ratings department. There were there have been like a couple of games so far, but there it's been a mix. Some have been up, some have been down. We're not seeing the across the board down forties that we saw during the playoffs. But is that easy comps? What are you comparing but, it to? Well, yeah, it's very early. Yeah, the season—that's true. The early part of the season last year um, was also not that great. I think pre-COVID, the NBA was down mid doubles or something like that. And one of the early games happened to be KD's return against the Warriors, and that was up twenty percent year over year from the the first opening night game. The other one, though, was down, what, 14 percent, um, the Clippers-Lakers game, and that was Clippers-Lakers. So who knows? We'll it's, see. It's very, very it's early. early. I think it, it's, it's very hard early. to draw too much. Like, But look, the, the other piece of this that's also going to be interesting to watch is that we're sort of heading back towards a little bit more of lockdown, right? Like we're definitely Not in Dallas, getting cold. Rich, yeah. The Texas Stadium is going to put 30,000 fans in. Well, I don't know if 30,000 people are going to show up for an NFC East game, but they, they will accept up to 30,000 fans in their stadium this Sunday. Good, good <laughs> luck to all. Good luck to all of us. Uh, good luck. Uh, I hear you. Lockdown and, and you know, Brandon did obviously that great piece on it in terms of whether the fan well, that was one of the factors that we thought about in terms of the lack of fans creating less uh, interest in the overall sports just because the viewing product is not as great. Clearly not impacting the, the NFL, though. No, the NFL is its own thing. OK, so Philly, Philly boy, why don't you walk uh, us through this. this? This is Gritty, I love Gritty, who's the second best mascot behind the Philly fanatic. Um Actually, Gritty might have overtaken him. I, I haven't. I think he's Gritty's. Better. Gritty's got a, t- a great Twitter account, so follow him if you haven't at Gritty NHL. I haven't. Is he been the only a- mascot that has a oh, Twitter I'm sure account? Others, but Gritty knows. Gritty figures that figures. Is it Gritty out. a friend of the podcast? Gritty is one hundred percent a friend of the podcast. He said, "I haven't been to a hockey game since." Uh, it said, I haven't, no, is it a heat? Well, I don't know. I haven't been to a hockey game since March 10th. I kept myself busy since then by making you smile with all my free content. And he says, Gritty Plus coming soon, $14.99 a month, maybe, but I'm depleted. I need to refuel my soul. So Gritty's primary, this was a whole tweet storm by Gritty. He wants to get back in the stadium. Unlike Rich's lockdown, he wants to be yeah. like Dallas is doing. Get the, get at least gritty back in the stadium. But it's also kind of funny that he's 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 kind of toying on the the plus and the max and all this kind of nonsense. Well, yeah, I mean, I, we were talking about this yesterday with Jason Hershorn, who was on Lightshed Live, and we were sort of making fun of like every one of these services is like plus or max and Paramount Plus launching soon, Discovery Plus launching soon, and all I keep thinking about is like if the future is streaming, why don't we just call it discovery or why don't we just call it paramount? Like, why do we need to even call it plus? Like, and the only plus, one who does that is stars. Yeah. I just, or I guess Peacock technically, cause it's a totally different brand. I mean, I, you know, it's sort of, it, it, it doesn't fit in any of those buckets, but yeah. it is shocking that like, just stop it. If the future is streaming, just call it that, like just end it and call it. That's the future that it's your main brand. We don't need these pluses and maxes and, it's just so unnecessary if that's really it, Look, still, it all feels like an appendage right now. Not to belabor the point, but we had this discussion with HBO, right? I don't they shouldn't have called it HBO Max. They should have just come up with a different name. I mean, companies do that like Verizon. I just finished the book Verizon Untethered and they talked about the process 
to changing all of these names that everyone thought was emblazoned in people's minds with bell companies. And they came up with Verizon, Veritas and Horizon, truth and looking to the future. Like come up with a name. Like it's going to suck for like the first month or two. And some people are going to tool on you as they did with Verizon or AirTouch before it. But like, okay, it's, it defines something new. Maybe they still. People tooled on us for our name. Now no one even thinks about you primarily. (laughs) (laughs) I like our name. Uh, Well, we've got Christmas Eve. I don't think after today, Light Shed will be forgettable in certain circles, Mitch. Well, we, we certainly made it. We, we certainly made a Christmas Eve splash. We, we you know, Grinch. I cannot I, I can honestly say I don't ever remember putting out research, especially an initiation on Christmas Eve morning. Took uh, that is, the that's shed. the first. Yeah, we take things Brennan, to the shed when they deserve your, it. Your your backdrop. That's Hawaii. Is that where you're spending Christmas in Hawaii? No. No. Oh, uh, I think that you're in New Jersey. I don't know where I'm, I'm in the city right now, but. I think I'm too scared to COVID travel, which Jess is not very happy about. But um, when we'll are you going back to when are you going back to the shore? Because I I, uh, I sent your Christmas so, present there. Oh, uh, I don't know. Oh. Soon. Okay, might be waiting for you there. Hopefully, your the shore the shore is probably going to wash away in this four inches of rain oh, we're supposed, now to, it's gonna get supposed to get today. You said you were going. Oh. My my so car much- would have been like floating in the ocean. So we're moving from a white Christmas that we were expecting to have to now a wet Christmas. Yes. We'll say sad. Okay. Well, everyone have a great, um, first of all, Merry Christmas. Have a, you know, we'll be back before new year's. uh, We will be back for the new year's edition. I think our, the next podcast we've moved to Thursdays. Now will be recorded on new year's Eve. We'll all be celebrating the end of this year. That's for sure. Uh, I can't wait for this year to end. So, Have a great holiday, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.